Hello and welcome to episode 129 of Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode with Dennis and Steve from the band Car Sickness and the non-punk Pittsburgh art exhibit. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Now, today on the show, I'm going to be airing the live episode that was recorded at Black Forge Coffee House for the three-year anniversary of the podcast. Yay! So, with that being said, I don't want to dig in too much to the introductions because we actually do all that in the conversation. I just kind of wanted to say hi. Thanks for listening to the show. Shoutouts to Black Forge Coffee, Meg from Rock Bottom, Steve from Dose, Nick and Ashley at Black Forge, mentioning Nick twice, Nick and Buzzy from Epicast, everyone else who just came out to hang out, my guests who, if you aren't aware, are Byron Nash, Mike Hitt, Brett Shoemaker, Lexa Terrestrial, and Meg Fair, and everyone who came out and was a part of the event. I really appreciate it, and you're all fucking beautiful people. If you're listening to this and you were there, it's cool that you want to listen to this shit twice. Hi. For those of you who couldn't make it, I'm sorry you couldn't be there, but hey, here you go. Sit back. Relax and let's start the motherfucking beat. Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes, and this is my podcast. The three-year anniversary. Make some noise for yourselves yeah. again. And make some noise for myself. I've been doing this way too friggin' long. Yeah. Feel free to make yourselves at home, and one time only, there's free beer, pizza, and tacos in the room. They're not in a fridge. Today on the show, I got a whole panel of friends here who are previous guests of the podcast. Everybody, let's start introducing ourselves, starting at the far end of the table down there. My man, Byron. My name is Byron Nash. I have a band called uh, Plan B. My name's Mike Hitt. I'm the owner and operator of MCM Studios. I'm Brett Shoemaker. I'm the founder of Don't the Scene Go Down on Me. I'm Lexa Terrestrial, and I'm a female rapper. I'm Meg Fair, and I'm the music writer for the Pittsburgh City Paper. And I'm Brian. Hey. So I got this ragtag gang of individuals here today to, uh, you know, discuss 
the music scene here in Pittsburgh. Everybody that's in this room, for the most part, is a part of the music scene in one way or another, whether you are a producer, musician yourself, attendee, other things like that. So we're going to discuss some things today and then we'll open up for Q&A later maybe. And, you know, let's do something cool because there's not enough discussion. Thanks for being off Facebook for a couple hours. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So starting the conversation, start with Meg. Hello. So how long have you been doing the city paper thing? So I've been officially an actual employee since the beginning of February, but I've been interning for the city paper in the music department since uh, last April. Cool. So from my perspective, I'm really excited to have somebody like you in there because it seemed previously the people that were doing stuff with the music in the city paper were not actually involved in the music scene whatsoever. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes so, sometimes they think I'm like a little too close to the scene because I do a lot of stuff, but it's like, it's better, point? yeah, because then I know, I, I feel well-researched. I never feel like I'm going into something blind because I try and keep tabs on everything. Totally. And then, Byron, in a previous life, you were also writing stuff for a music journal as well, right? It was a rock and roll reporter yeah. uh, back in the day. And I used to uh, do freelance for City Paper, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pitch to me anytime. <laughs> I have business cards now. <laughs> so, like, were, whenever you wanted to do the city paper, was that something that you were just seeking out, like, intentionally to work in the Pittsburgh city paper or just looking for something in general with music? Um, I've wanted to do the music journalism thing for a while, and I'm really passionate about all the talent in Pittsburgh. Um, so it just made sense. But actually, it's like funny how I came to that internship because I actually did an interview for like the art section, not the music section. Um, and I could tell he was like not interested at all in me. And I w he was like, we have like a separate music internship. And I was like, can I talk to the editor right now? Um, and so she, he like went and got her from her cubicle and it ended up being perfect. But since then it like, it feels very natural. I'm really excited about how it turned out because I didn't really know what to expect, but I genuinely love the work I'm doing and I feel really blessed to be able to like write about a scene that I love, mm -hmm. so. Brett, you've been promoting shows here in Pittsburgh for how long? Um, Ten years in total, but in Pittsburgh, uh, seven years. So over the past seven years, how have you seen the local music scene evolve and grow and change with what you do? It fluctuates a lot. I mean, there are times where there's either not enough venues or there's not enough bands. But um, it feels pretty good right now. There's a lot of venues. There's a lot of like people throwing house shows, uh, which comes and goes. Um, but there's a lot of great people doing great things right now. Now, Mike, you've been recording artists in the city and producing for a long time as well. Yes. How's that fluctuated since the past? I haven't talked to you in a couple of years. You know, I'll, I always <laughs> talk about this, right? Is uh, so like 2009, 2010, I decided to open a studio. And, you know, we, as we all know, it's 2017. And. When I opened, I think there was uh, nine recording studios. So, you know, there was the typical fair, the popular stuff, Mr. Small's ID Labs, and then there was like one home studio. And when I opened, there was that many. And now there's about 40-some studios, you know, in the city. And 
my friend always jokes. He said, man, he said, you got on the uh, SEO early, you know, and I saw that I saw that coming where the city is just continually growing entertainment wise, you know, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Lexa. Yeah, I have something to say about that, too. Yeah. There are a lot of studios and a lot of bands, but I feel like it's hard to find reliable people to work with who yes. are as passionate as you and who are just professional and have their stuff together. So there could be a lot of studios, but there's maybe a handful of people that I continually work with because they are reliable and good. they're good people. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I had, I mean, myself, I started self-recording and self-producing when I was in like eighth grade. Yeah. And then I, I honestly didn't feel comfortable with recording with anybody else until actually yeah. I met Matt Very. Shout outs. He's over. He's somewhere. I can't see. It's really dark. There he is. Hey, Matt. But yeah, it's really, really hard to find those people that you do feel comfortable and work with really well. It's like yeah. almost like the metaphor of like a, like say you want to get a tattoo and you have this specific idea in mind, but you go to an artist who specializes in a completely different style of art. It just doesn't match up. And then you either don't get that tattoo or you get a tattoo and it ends up being something that you didn't want. So I think it's just a matter of like not necessarily uh, finding the right person, but having a clear enough vision of what you want. So whenever you're seeking out people to work with, you could see what you're looking for in that person. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm back to recording myself again. I just record in my room now. And you could, do, you know do a lot more and experiment a lot more. But to find the right people to mix in and master, a lot of people say they know how to do that, but not a lot of them do, you know? Because yeah. I only have so much insight into produce. Like, I do make beats and everything like that, but as far as mixing and mastering, hell no. Uh-uh. Well, that's a no. whole nother... Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to find reliable <laughs> people. Now, whenever you are recording yourself... Um, you started recording yourself, like, when did you start self-recording? I'm sorry. Yeah, probably when I started making music, like, around the time. When, yeah, when I did that podcast with you, I think I said I was, like, 17 years old. And at that time, I was making really crappy mashups and recording myself. And, uh -huh. yeah, so around, around then. Yeah, so do you think that, how yeah. has, like, technology changed your accessibility to do things yourself over the years. I think like that's a conversation that we can get yeah. into as a over like in general because so many things are so accessible now to yeah. us and you know when I was in high school it was really really difficult just to get a song recorded. And now well, I'm in a position where like I can record a song on this cell phone and take a promo with this and then upload it to Spotify <laughs> all from this and like have like a full like worldwide distribution in 20 minutes. We can record a song right now and I can like, have it on Spotify. And like that just technology wasn't available then. So kind of even like outside of making music with like promoting shows, whenever Brett, whenever you started doing shows and you were promoting stuff, that's like early Facebook, kind of like death of MySpace era type stuff, right? Oh yeah, for sure. So like how has promoting music changed over the years for you as far as like, dealing with technology and battling the sponsored ads and algorithms and uh, all that stuff? Uh, it's tough, honestly. Um, I recently, like, I just now started doing, like, the sponsored post. Like, I held out on that for so long because I, I did not want to pay to do a Facebook ad. 
But it got to a point where it was like, you know what, like I have to do something more. Um, and, you know, I always try to do flyers. Um, but Facebook is still like the best way to get to people. But they seems like they don't want you to get to people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was trying to, I get, <laughs> funny story. So uh, we're doing this new Grey Walker shirt. Maybe some of you people saw it. The, uh, the Mosh Retirement Club thing. So well, if you don't have a, a band page on Facebook, you probably don't know that Facebook does this. But if you have a fan page or any type of business page on Facebook, you'll get suggestions in your news feed. Like, oh, this is what your sponsored post could look like. And I yeah. keep seeing like, oh, this is what your sponsored Facebook post could look like for the Greywalker ad. But the funny thing about it is you can only promote a photo that has so much text on it. And there's actually too much text to promote that post. But Facebook is still telling me what my post would look like if I posted it, if they would let me post it. Is that, yes. so, like, what are you supposed to do with that? It's like... It's so yeah. infuriating. You also, know? they bury the events now. Like, oh, if, yeah. you, if you're using the app to find a show, it is so hard to find an event page, which is so frustrating because that's, like, what you want to have accessible. Like, if you need to check an address or, like, uh, doors time, and you can't find it. It's, like, the seventh tab over now in the search. Yeah. It's infuriating. Mike. <laughs> So, like, a couple years ago, when I had you on the podcast, you were one of the first people that really, like, encouraged me to experiment with sponsored ads. Right. I tried for a little bit. I backed out. <laughs> I, bo I bowed out gracefully from that. Because, I mean, for a while it was working, but it just feels like it's so hard to keep up with the changes. Yeah. So, yeah. are you still messing with sponsored ads? And, like, how have you seen things change? Like, you're... You're optimistic and you persevere. Right. You're right. proactive. So what here, can we do? here, back to first, I just want to backtrack a little bit, right? And you said that, uh, you know, and, and they do. Everyone has access to record something, right? And I look at Facebook and internet and all that the exact same way. So right now we're kind of talking about the hurdles of the sponsored post, right? And it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, footballs, okay? I'm going to compare this to that. Is uh, anybody can go get a football and throw it, right? Anybody. We can go to Dick's and buy a football now. But not anyone can be an NFL player, right? And not everyone's going to put the work in to make it to even, even the varsity level in their high school team, right? And if they go further than that, that's amazing. So I look at the internet and sponsor posts the exact same way in a sense that, I know you say Facebook is the best way, but I completely disagree because I don't really promote on Facebook. You know, I'm on Facebook as me and everyone knows me for being on Facebook, but it's rare that you see an MCM Studios promoted post, right? And that's because there's like 3 billion people connected to the internet, right? And there's about what, like 900 million connected to Facebook? So it's almost like, why would I focus my attention on Facebook when I can just optimize my website and the people flow in like the cold water's been on for years. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's like it, there's always going to be like new inventions. There's always going to be new ways for people to be involved. But back to the football concept is like we could all throw a football, right? But how many of us are going to go to the NFL, you know? 
and just look at it like that. Yeah, I see the kids playing football, but I'm focused on being an NFL. Them kids are not uh, a threat to me. You know what I mean? And I think if you look at it like that, then it's easy. You say I persevere. It's easy to persevere because there's so many people in the world and so much opportunity to grab those people even beyond Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. But so, like, what do you use personally outside just, of Facebook? Because, I mean, I, I know you run a studio. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I just people run a website. I optimize my website. I make sure that I have the right photos, the right, you know, like, uh, I wouldn't put on my website uh, uh, cold brew espresso. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm not really, uh, I focus on recording music or making a song. And these are the things people are typing in and searching for. And especially if you're in Pittsburgh, I'm like the first thing that comes up on the page because of optimizing for that. And really, I think all of us really, I, I know this talk is about making the scene better, right? And I think we can make the scene better if we keep pushing out, okay? And, and not staying in. And Facebook technically is kind of like staying in because fuck Facebook and yes. their algorithms, yes, you true. know, and their Absolutely. algorithms of keeping us in these little pens, you know, and what's fucked up about Facebook is when I leave here in about a week, I'll probably be in all of your suggested friends. You know what I mean? Like as you go in people you may know, and I may never get to talk to her right there. You know what I mean? But that's, that's the most messed up part about it. And at least with Google, it's a little more, it's a little more free range and getting your name out there. And Facebook just says, hey, you're, this is your sandbox, this is your sandbox, this is your sandbox. And Google's more like, well, tell me what your sandbox is, I'll put you in it, you know? Yeah, I, can, may I say something? Yeah, yeah, yeah please. Because I, every, everybody has their own avenue or their own venue, and mm -hmm. I've been messing around with Google Analytics for a while and stuff like that and optimizing things. But there's a way, and I've studied this for a while and read some books about it, about Facebook marketing and specific targeting ads and there's a way to reach people that you really really want to reach that would absolutely love what you do you have to just really know your market mm -hmm. and the specific things they would be into and facebook doesn't make it easy for you to figure out how to advertise properly mm -hmm. but you can spend two dollars on an ad or as mo as much as 10 bucks and push really far and i've been getting a lot better at Facebook advertising, and I hate Facebook. I absolutely hate them, and they know this, and every time I try to say it, they shut me down. They always try to shut me down, you know, and I feel like they're just, I don't know, they're they're like the Walmart of social media. So, <laughs> <laughs> they are. That's fair assessment. But, That's very true. But I saw, like, yeah, I no, saw you on Facebook. Yep. I know about your studio because I did see you on Facebook. Yep. But everybody has their own avenue that they succeed well in, and you'll know what it is, and whatever that avenue is, stick to it, try to make it better, mm -hmm and make that your avenue, mm -hmm. your sandbox, yeah. but also try to experiment with the other ones mm -hmm. a little bit too. But there is a way to reach people on Facebook. Yes. Even though they make it hard, if you're really focused on your niche, mm -hmm. you can find those people. Don't yeah. get everyone, only get the people that are good for you. You yes. know, like I'm yeah. not in here like, what? Well, you know, it's like me being like, uh, it's like Matt, right? You know, this is the one thing I learned is like, especially with the studio, people will be like, uh, you know, they go to ID Labs, they go to Mr. Smalls, they even go to Matt Very. And it's like, I even tell these guys who come to me, they'll be like, well, you know, clients love to like poke at you a little bit. They'll be like, well, so-and-so studios like this. And rather than even get back and forth in that banter, I'm just like, go check them out. 
You know what I mean? Like, hey, go to ID Labs. You know what I mean? Like, Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller recorded there. It's awesome. Go see Matt Vary. He just built his studio. Go see Mr. Smalls. They always have great shows. And that's me understanding that, like, if this person isn't going to be my client, then maybe this person isn't my niche. You know, but I'd rather you go out, experience with other studios, and I'll tell you, pat myself on the back. 90% of the time, these guys come back. Because like you said, it's hard to find good people, right? And back to the football analogy, right? I'm like the coach, you know? And there's only so many winning coaches. You know what I'm saying? And I'm a winning coach. So when people come to me, they're like, damn, I didn't get no Super Bowl anywhere else I went. And I came to you and I got a ring. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And it's like you have to be confident in, in what you're doing, whether it be this coffee house, whether it be my studio, whether it be female rapper, whether it be a uh, solo guitarist. You know, you got to just stay in your lane, like you said, focus on those people. And just like this audience is here for you, you know, fuck everyone else out on Arlington. Yeah. These people. <laughs> These people are who's important, and if we focus on all the people that aren't, it like takes credit away from them. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Now that kind of like segues into where I wanted to evolve the conversation, which would be how much time we spend and think about on social media, while like what we do is we entertain in person. The yeah. whole fucking idea is to get people to come out and see us perform, right? Yeah. So. How do we do that with just completely pushing the internet aside? Like, what could we do to get back into the public and, like, just grab people? You know what I mean? Because like, the internet wasn't always around. Byron, yeah. you know, like, I feel like you would be a good person to chime in on this because, you know, you probably were playing shows and doing things pre Oh the yeah, social media age. I mean, I still, I still believe in old school flyering and ticketing, and like when we do a, a, what I would consider like an, every show is important, but if it's like a bigger one, like I'll go all the way out with like envelopes, designs, stickers, the whole nine, so that people know. I feel like if people see that you care about the music and your show, they're, they're going to care about it just as much, and they seem to support that. But I also believe in like going out and flyering the shit out of everything and going out and meeting people and talking to the store owners and saying, hey, can I hang a poster here? And building that rapport. Because back in the day when I worked at The Reporter, um, we hand-delivered everything. So what I would do, every it was once a month, I would get all my flyers ready. And then when we did deliveries, I'd hit every music store because we put them in every music store. <laughs> when we, we had we, music stores? Yeah. And then we would... Uh, you know, if we were at a red light, I'd hop out and I'd staple it at a pole and I would always do it at eye level. And it got to the point where I wasn't concerned about getting 100 people to the show if I did 500 flyers. I was more concerned with having 300 people know that we existed. And, oh, then, totally. and so I was looking off of the percentage of people that were aware. And then if I got 20 people to a show, fuck that show up. And then more people are going to know about you. So it's still kind of an old school thing. You still have to like deliver live at the end of the day, right? So all the advertising is great, but the attention span is so small. So I think what everyone was saying about your lane, you have to target how you want to attack to get people to be aware. Because you know people are looking at Trump stuff, kitten videos, waiting for giraffes. I mean, that's a lot to compete against as an artist, right? You know, so. You got to think about what time you want to post, mm -hmm. and you know anything past three o'clock is just bullshit. So you got to hit early because the average person wakes up first thing they do, phone. It's the first thing. So if I'm going to do a post and I really want it to hit, I'm going to post between seven and nine a.m. and then I'll I'll track it to see where it's at, 
and then somewhere around lunch, people go on lunch break, they're on their fucking phone, they come back, they're lazy, they're on their phone, right? So, and I watch it, I'm a bartender, so I just watch how people are. They're on dates, they're on the fucking phone, they're wasted, they're on the fucking phone. So I think about like, okay, how do I get this fucked up person to like, no, I have a show? Because I've been at shows, I've been at shows where I like give the person a flyer, or even at work, they're like, oh, when are you playing next? I give them the flyer, they're holding the flyer, and they'll say, when's your next show? And I'm like, what? You know, like that's a real yeah. thing. It happens all the time. Oh, actually, yeah. So I, I, I think a lot of it is like getting people out, and once they're out, doing the best that you can to like connect with them. It's still about connection and uh, making sure your music's good, you know, and like caring, and then also thanking people because they don't have to come to your show. Like, even if it's fucking free, like, they, there's so much to do, right? So someone comes out, like, the level of appreciation can't just be like, oh, thanks, guys, you know what I mean? Like, really let them know that they're a part of your thing, and that's how I feel like you cultivate a scene, whether it's metal scene, punk, pop, whatever. We're all the scene here, right? You know, I met him because of Evan, but I met Evan because of bartending. You know, yeah. I met you because of Evan. You know, so it's like all these things came together um, just off of relationships. So I think the other thing about when people talk about fans, fans are the people that relate to your music. So we got to give back to the people in order for them to give back to us to continue to like keep that cycle going. So when it comes to Facebook and all of those things, like I do the ads, but I only do them specifically at certain times for certain shows, you know? And then I look at like, all right, we have two weeks. Like sometimes announcing a show a month in advance is too far. Totally. People start fucking it up. They're like, oh, how was your show? You're like, it didn't happen yet, man. Come on, fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if I, and I know that people are like that, so I'll like wait. I'm like, all right, this is going to be a big show. They don't have to like buy tickets to it. It's just come on out. I'll hit two weeks and I'll have an ad running. And then I'll support the ad by doing other shit. And I've done this test where, so I'm a single dad. My kid's like old as shit now. But people love fucking photos with me and my kid, right? So if I post it, boom, 150 likes. Automatic, right? Uh, post something with my cats, 150 likes, hands down, right? Post a photo of me and like playing guitar live, it's like the best shot ever, 30 likes, right? And I, and I realized what it is is that we're artists, right? We're, we're guitar players, we're rappers, we're producers. You're supposed to be fucking doing that. So that's not really that exciting to look at, to stay in, engaged in, because you're, you're a singer, you should be singing, right? You know, you're a producer. You should be making beats and producing people. That's what people expect you to do. So that's not always going to keep them interested. So sometimes I'll post a cat fucking picture just to follow it up with a Byron Evan video. And then all of a sudden there's like, boom, 900 likes yeah. or 900 views yeah. or yeah. something real crazy like that. So I think it's really understanding how people react to their phones and the internet and then working around the algorithms in free Facebook they're freaking us, so freak them back. Like, all right, well then, you're not gonna let these people see my shit? I'm gonna put up a kitty cat thing. And then they're gonna see it hardcore over here. And it's a real thing, because I've been doing this for a long time. It's, it's weird, but it's kind of like an old school thing of just still, I believe in flyering, I believe in tickets, I believe in like, really just like, street promotion, you know? Like, nothing ever beat that. You know, I always think about when people got mad at uh, Metallica for the Napster thing and like how they went after it. I'm like, dude, imagine, these dudes were eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, fucking starving, finally get to the point where they're like, yeah, we're worldwide, we're like self-sufficient, and our music's going out for free. And everyone got mad about it because of how they went after them. But 
the same thing. It's like people got into Metallica because people were trading tapes or trading tapes. You know what I mean? So like back in the day, if I didn't have the CD or if I didn't have the record, my boy's like, yo, you got to hear this new fucking Slayer shit. And he'd give me a cassette. Yeah. It's the same concept, right? It just wasn't digital. So still building relationships and it was still street promotion and it was still connecting to people. And you knew if someone was like freaking out about something, it was some real shit. Like you, you believed in it and then it spread. And that's how you get into the stuff that you like. So I think it's the same way of trying to connect to the people now with a shorter attention span going up against other things on the internet, videos that don't make any fucking sense and don't mean anything. How do you weasel your way in there and connect to the people in your lane? You know, that's my number one goal right now. So now I have this like conversation in my head a lot about why people sometimes are so hesitant to pr promote themselves or promote shows. And a lot of it has to do with tickets. And there's the whole like pay to play shadow demon thundercloud thing that rains <laughs> down on you, right? And personally, I feel like pay to play really, I mean, sometimes it definitely is, but I think that people should look at it more as promote to play mm -hmm. because somewhere something got disconnected. Like flyering became not so relevant. And like, so like, there was a reason, like something had to have happened that made promoters want to switch to this format. And there's so many bands that are so like hesitant to sell tickets for a show. And it's like, I've never had a problem selling tickets for a show because I don't have a problem going out and talking to people and just doing what needs to be done. And I feel like if you are an active band with even the littlest fan base, it's not that hard to sell 30 tickets for a show. It shouldn't be. It's incredible, really. honestly, like the concept of being like telling people in your network, hey, I have tickets for this upcoming show. I'm going to be at this other show hanging out anyway, and I'm going to have them with me if you want to get them there. Or like making yourself accessible, it becomes much easier to sell those tickets. And as someone who's been on both sides being sold to and also selling tickets, like as a high schooler, like that... I don't know, I never hated pay to play because it was like a good exercise in forcing us out of our comfort zone and approaching people who we maybe weren't friends with. Like sure. people who we knew liked that stuff. Um, and I kind of, it's kind of weird. I think pay to play gets like a really, I mean sometimes it's really shady and shitty, but totally. most of the time it's, at least in our experience, it was never unreasonable. And if we actually just like stopped being babies about <laughs> talking to strangers and acquaintances, we never had a problem. You know, it's not hard, you know, and like in like full transparency, like the last pay to play show that we did with Greywalkers when we played with Darkest Hour. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, if you can sell 50 tickets, we're gonna give you three bucks for each ticket that you sell. So it's like we went out, we told our friends about it, we sold, actually we ended up selling like probably over 70 tickets times three, that money was in our pocket in the door. So we go, we walked into the show with a couple a couple hundred extra bucks in the band fund. All of our friends were there and we had a good time and it wasn't hard to do. And we're not like a big band. We just, we all have friends and it's just like, hey, we're playing a show. Cool. It's not, the, it's the, some, I think some people just want things just handed to them or they're expecting a lot of people to just show up. So it's like, I don't want to pay to play, meaning I don't want to pay the $300 for these tickets because I'm too lazy to go out and sell them. Yeah. It's like what that translates in my brain as. I also think for some people, for artists a lot of the times, it's hard to uh, 
like you love your art, right? Yeah. But as soon as you cross the line, because the internet made us all have to become business people in some capacity. So when it becomes, you know, you got to sell these tickets, you want to play with this band, cool. A lot of people, for some people, it's hard to say, hey, come buy this $20 ticket off me, because it's like, holy shit, I'd pay $20 to go see my favorite band, or, you know? But it's the work behind it that I found that like a lot of people are afraid to deal with more than the personal, like, oh man, I don't want to sell this ticket. It's like, no, you don't want to hustle. You know, it's like, you can't be doing this. If you want to do it as a hobby, be honest with yourself about that. But if you're trying to really make it a career, you're going to have to do shit that doesn't get you money to get you in a position, you know? So now you get to play with this band, all of a sudden you can like build your band resume that can get you better gigs out of town. That's what you're paying for, you know? And the experience is great too, you know? And maybe you get better at learning how to sell tickets, you know? And if you sell some t-shirts at the show, it's all a win-win. But I feel like a lot of people are just bullshitting about how hard they're willing to work for their art. But it's, you know, now, you can look like you're doing better than you are on the internet, you know, like yep. you can kind of oh, fake yeah. the funk. And I think back in the day, it's like you're either packing shows or you weren't, you know, and people don't want to hustle as hard as they, I think, say they do, you know. And so I don't really think it's a bad, you know, if the promoter's like not being fair about it or something, oh, totally. I, you know, I mean, that's just bad yeah. business or something. But I don't think that's a bad deal especially if you're able to play with some people who are touring and, and you can make the connection and if you like handle the situation right you should look at it as an opportunity and you're really paying for the opportunity to do something better for your art yeah i mean band, like you know? you know i've been in a situ i've been in situations where promoters have asked us to prepay for all the tickets and i'm like nah. no that one's weird no nah, no 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 thanks <laughs> That's not but if it's a situation where it's like hey like here's x number of tickets you're gonna get X amount of money from each ticket that you sell. Please try to sell this many. It's not that hard for us to do it, so we can do it. Maybe not everybody can do it. Maybe not everybody wants to do it. But you know, I just I again just I really really feel like it's just a really good way for bands who want to go to a certain level or maybe think more about like the business and promotion side of being an artist. I think it's a really really great practice tool, a way to mm -hmm. get out of your comfort zone for sure. How do you feel about it, Brett? <laughs> um, Brett with the hot take. <laughs> because, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, Brett, you know, you. Well, the thing is, like, it's not for everybody, though. That's the thing. It's like not every yeah. community necessarily needs that. Right. You I know? mean, like, I uh, came up in DIY, and, like, they don't like tickets. They, like... <laughs> totally. Um, I only recently started doing tickets for some shows because... As I uh, keep doing what I'm doing, I'm attracting bigger booking agents, and they want to do tickets. Um, and some do well, and some don't sell hardly any pre-sale tickets, and then a bunch of people come to the show anyway. <laughs> um, but as a whole, bands are just not promoting their shows as hard as they should be. <laughs> totally. And like I, uh, I'm just one guy. You know, I'm just like <laughs> trying to do it myself. Like other people need to. You know, do their part. Yeah, so I think with what you know, the the type of shows, a lot of the stuff in the DIY <coughs> DIY community. If you're not familiar, it's kind of like a thing where, like, if you're a local band, you're supporting the touring band by bringing your friends, and then like, this isn't a band that's getting a huge guarantee. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like everybody kind of just like chips in to help this band get to the next spot. Whereas you know, if we're playing in Greywalker, opening up for Darkest Hour, who's probably getting like a few grand just to be there, if not more, 
it's like, okay, well, I don't feel bad about making money off of this show and making money off these tickets. Mm -hmm. But if it was a situation where you have a band, you know, from just anywhere playing at Roboto and someone's like, oh, I won't, you know, sell tickets for this and then, like, you can keep some money, I wouldn't, I'd feel bad keeping money from that. Does that make sense, you know? So yeah, I kind of understand, like, why sometimes the tickets, the ticketing situation isn't necessarily vital. I think it just depends on the level that you're at and the, the particular community that you're trying to support at the time. Yeah, and uh, I've had a lot of bands where, like, I'll do, a, I'll do a show and, like, I'll try to give money to the local band and they'll just flat out tell me to just give it to the touring band. Wow. I mean, that, again, that's, you know, that's not really something that happens too much in the... The hip hop community. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, <laughs> it's I've a done completely some different demographic of yeah. thought. The hip hop uh, scene here is a little bit tougher and a little bit shadier. I hate to say that, but I think overall the scene here is is growing and it's really good. And it was really good when I started. I feel like it was a little stronger then, and that it lost its momentum for a little bit, and now it's picking back up because there's a lot more things happening and. I don't know the the economy. I don't I don't know what the factors are in, in any of this. But <laughs> I've done I've done a pay to play show, and I don't think people want to promote as, as much, or they don't know how. And it, people don't leave their house. People are on the internet. It's hard to keep people's attention and get them interested. It's hard to get people to commit to things. But all Baron, everything Baron said is really how you get Byron. people. Byron. My bad. <laughs> Shit, what? Oh, That was close enough. Damn, okay. <laughs> this whole, wow, this whole time, I, I thought your name was Baron. Damn it, okay. But, um, <laughs> chill. So what, everything he said was legitimately spot on. Um, that's how you get people interested. But I, I remember I did a pay-to-play pay show, but it was a bit, you know, I was opening for Hobson, and I really believed in that show. I loved that artist. It was like, if you really believe in something in a show, you will do as much as you can to promote it. And I feel like a lot of the time, maybe the artist loses sight and they're like, oh, okay, you know, I don't really feel like selling these tickets. And they need a little fire under their ass or something, or they don't know how to do it. But if you have to do it, you'll find a way to do it. You will. I, I, have, to, I have to say, like, one of the hardest things for me is, like, I'm... I'm a music journalist who goes to a lot of shows. So, and I, I go to places where people are flyering and people are talking about the gigs they're playing. But the form of promotion that I receive, like in my emails, is usually hellish. Because people aren't coming to me and saying, hey, I really believe in my art and I'm playing this gig and I'm really, ex like, I'm really excited about it. Like, any way we could get like a critic's pick about it or something? Like, most of the time people are coming to me and being like, well, I deserve this coverage and I demand that it be a cover story or like, I want this many words on me. And it's like, what? okay, well, until you like show me that you're making waves, I'm not really interested in writing about you. And also like, I'm somebody who goes out a lot to a lot of different shows. So like if I've never seen you at a show and you're asking me for a cover story and how you're like a big part of the scene, I have a hard time believing that. But I do wish more people would just contact me with a list of things they're doing. Hey, yeah. this is what I'm up to. Like, because that gives me a better sense. Like I'm never opposed to that. Hey, I'm putting out this record. Like give it a listen. Let me know what you think. Like sometimes I can do stuff. Sometimes I can't. But like ultimately when you approach it as like this is something I love to do and I want to do more with it that comes across way better than the people who are like I'm promoting myself because I'm worth it. 
totally. And you're like, why are you doing this? Why are you being weird? <laughs> like, I had two people in the past two weeks be like, yeah, we want to do this, but it needs to be a cover story. And I'm like, I don't fucking pick that. Like, we picked that three days before. Like, I can't be like, yep, cover sure. Like, if something crazy happens in Pittsburgh, we're not going to put, like, Joe Schmo on the cover instead of, like, a major city event happens. Like, it's just, it's very absurd. A lot of people ask me, like, uh, they come to me like, hey, I want to start recording music or I want to start a podcast or I want to do this or that. And the first thing I always tell everybody what they need is they just need a genuine want to actually do it. Like, you just have to actually give a fuck. And then, like, you can really figure it out from there. You just really need that genuine fire to do it. Like, it's finding money is easy. Buying things is easy. It's, it's you know, the... It's not that hard to record music. There's probably like two million interfaces in a warehouse somewhere. You just gotta get the money for it, buy it, and then learn how to use it. But that's stuff that like you need to have the intuition to make the money, to spend it, to go buy it, and to learn it. So you need to give a fuck about it. Great point, great point. If you don't care, then you know, what's the point? I think also we come into this place where, and I mean, in Pittsburgh there is like, socioeconomic wise there is disparity in who has access to those things but more and more there are these like arts nonprofits and community groups that are turning like your YWCA's into like recording studios totally. and things like that and if you can get more and more kids connected to that it makes the future scene so much better and it gives them the avenues of ways to like make that money themselves and things like that or like have that access you know for free um, but that's like one thing that I do wish there were more of is like community spaces or collective spaces where it's like, cause that happens in the tech space. Like you can find accessible tech spaces, you know, it's like pretty cheap to be a member and you have access to 3D printers and like all the things you could need, but it's for a pretty cheap price, way cheaper than you could ever do on your own. And like, there's not necessarily that access for people in Pittsburgh. That's like my, in my ideal dream world. Totally. That's something where like people have access to that. And even like kind of just like going back to, uh, you know, like say like you're somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of resources. You don't need a whole lot of resources. I still record all my music on a Windows 98 tower. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same computer that I've had since high school. I still use it. Because, I mean, like, I'm sure I have a MacBook. I don't, but it's just like, I don't like that. But I can't afford a nice desktop, but I still make it happen. I've put out like a dozen albums. It works. It's fine. So even if you feel like you have like limited resources, if you still like care enough, you could still make it work. You don't need the best things in the world to make what you want to happen happen. You know, it's like if you're somebody, and this is actually going to be really funny because I'm about to talk about having a car. <laughs> But if, uh, if you're somebody that has to get to work, right, and you have to buy a car, you're not going to be like, oh, well, I can't take that job because I can't afford a Maserati, you know? Like, you're going to buy a cheap car, and you're still going to get there. You could still make it work on the budget that works for you. So I think it's the same way with art. You know, if you can't afford the expensive things, there's still a way that you can do it. Like, before I had recording equipment, I had a camcorder, and I would just, like, play the beat on my beat machine through my television speaker and set up the recorder and just rap at the recorder because it was the only way that I could record the music. Then I had, like, an audio out that went to a tape deck. So, like, until I had, until I had a computer in my senior year of high school, by the way, so through 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th grade, I recorded music like that because it was just wow. how I had to do it. And I still have that stuff if anybody wants to hear it. Wow. <laughs> 
you're MacGyver. It's just I, a matter of like, I mean, it's it's the 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 resources are there. It's just think about it, you know, and just make it work. Yeah, if you want it, if you want to do it bad enough, you'll find a way to do it. I've always found myself to be very resourceful and found a way to do it with nothing. Like when I was little, I did similar stuff like that. But I give you a lot of credit. You just you it's what you like doing, it's who you are and you'll find a way to do it. I think it goes That's back beautiful. to you know, like I'm like I don't want to like talk bad about anybody by any means, but kind of goes back to what we were just talking about how like people want things but they don't always want to work for it. You know, yeah. like I want to be in a band that's opening up for, you know, my favorite band, but eh, I don't really want to sell tickets for it, so eh, whatever. Like but I, I deserve to be on that show. I deserve to be on the front of the city paper. That, I right? just, oh, God. It's really like sometimes when I get an email, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, did, they, did I really just receive so, this? So um, I guess this would be kind of geared towards Meg and Byron just being journalists and experience in writing. So musicians first, and then you kind of got into that field, right, the both of you? Yeah. yeah. So what did being a journalist writing about music studying what other people were doing how did that like affect or change the way that you approach your work personally outside of journalism anything yeah um, First, i'll go second well, gotta gather my thoughts uh, well when i got into it it was like an accident because i graduated college for graphic design so i was already reading the rock and roll reporter as a fan and then they had a little ad for art but it was right when it, everything was going like computer, you know? So our, my last semester was computers. I didn't learn enough to like be, you know, savvy at it, but I was still creative. And when I got there, I was just like fucking Nashville pussy posters and yeah. all the, it was just straight rock and roll. I'm like, this is fucking heaven. This is the best thing. I don't really want to do art, you know? Like what else are they doing? I want to go to concerts. And uh, they ended up, my first interview was Rat. It was like post Rat, like, you know, <laughs> like, all, you know, they didn't even have all the original members, but I was still geek because I they, was like, they, they, they had been round and round at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, good one. Whoa. <laughs> but what, that's great. But so that kind of what happened was um, they had asked me, they said they were joking, like making fun of Rat in the office. They're like, does anyone know anything about Rat? And I was like, I do. I was like super shy and quiet. And they were like, yeah, right. And they just, I just started rattling off all this shit because I'm just... <laughs> rattling off? You like that? <laughs> but no, really, like I, I, I'm an encyclopedia of like old school, like hard rock metal stuff. And I, I have books and DVDs and all this bullshit. Like I'm just, I'm a nerd about it. So I got to do the interview and that led me into writing, you know. So when I did that interview... It, I went from news, like local music editor, which got me into the scene, meeting a lot of bands. This is back in the day when like Nick's Fat City was like thriving, and you know, bands would sell out. You know, and there were a lot more clubs. Graffiti was here and shit like that. And uh, so I started to go to all these events, and that I, I got to see it from the back end. You know, before, and I didn't even have a band yet. I just was a guitar player. And what I learned was, one, how not to act as an artist in a professional setting. You know, like how to really handle your shit how to uh, approach people who are, you know, from the top millionaire booking agent bringing all the big acts to, you know, the, the startup guy, you know, and just sort of knowing how to conduct yourself. But also, uh, when I started to listen to a lot of music, because there are, there are all the things that I loved, but then they started throwing these curveballs at me, and I would like, have 50 CDs sitting on my desk, and I'd be forced to listen to something that I 
kind of didn't want to listen to, but I had to figure out a creative way and a fair way to review it and find something good about that music, you know? And uh, it opened me up more. So I started going to every, any concert they would let me go to and cover and take photos of, I would go to. I'd be at Spice Girls one day, Tori Amos the next day, Pantera the next day, go to a music festival for the weekend. And I was just <laughs> Sounds absorbing. like the most fantastic Wait, week that ever happened. It kind of was the best <laughs> thing you. of all time. <laughs> it really was. But like, you know, I, I talked to artists and the thing was about the, you know, interviewing big artists who hate being interviewed, you got to remember that if they're on the road, they're probably in some dry-ass hotel room. Their voices are tired. They've been up late. They're, you know, they're, they don't really want to talk to us, right? So you have to figure out what to ask them because a lot of the people that interview them aren't artists. So when they talk to them, they ask them dumb shit. And imagine someone asking you the same stupid question 20 times but different people. Oh, yeah. You know, like for hours. So... It taught me how to talk to artists, you know, and like really get in there because I thought about, well, if I were Lenny Kravitz and I just cut my dreads off, how would I be? Because I interviewed him right after he did it. I had to ask him about it, but I know everyone was asking him, so I had to wait and figure out the best time to, to ask him that thing. So I think for me as an artist, it made me one think more about my music, and I became super open to anything, and my music got better because I was listening to things that I know I probably wouldn't have gotten into if it weren't for my boss saying, I need you to review this. You know, and a lot of the best interviews that I had were artists that I didn't know about. They would say something that would just like change my whole life. Like, fuck, that's it. That's the key, you know? And it actually got me deeper into it and made me want to work harder and practice more. And when I realized, this is back in the day when there were a ton of labels and everything was label-based and labels were actually sending out, you know, promo CDs and the whole nine. Um, talking to the publicist, you learn a lot about that too, and it just made me realize that if I wanted to ever be on that level, I had to figure out how to work hard, because what's the point of getting a manager if you don't know what the manager's job is, right? You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I need a booking agent, I need a manager. Well, how would you even know what they're supposed to do if you haven't done some of it yourself? So I learned a lot from a creative aspect, but I also learned a ton more from the business side and figuring out how I wanted to be an artist who had to like handle their own business, you know what I mean? So yeah. I appreciate that that lesson. It's like rock college or something. <laughs> um, I mean, I myself always wanted to be a journalist probably ever more than, I mean, I love playing drums and I've been playing drums since I was in third grade. So like that's always been a part of it. Um, but just like you said, for me becoming a writer about music was really intuitive because I had all these questions as an artist that I wanted to know and my rule of thumb even like as a 15 year old so like you know Christmas and like yeah. Christmas was my mentor and she knew that I wanted to be a music journalist and that I'd like watched like way too much almost famous and was like this bitch well let's get her in the field so like she was like you know taking me to like warp tour to like interview bands she was like friends with and i like didn't fucking know anything about what i was doing but i knew as a musician i had all these questions and so i was asking all of these questions that weren't like fan questions they were like how do you construct this and like what are, like how do you survive on the road and like what's like the worst thing that happens in the van like because if I can't, if I can Google it and get an answer, I'm not going to ask that question. That's a waste of their time. It's a waste of my time. And that was my rule of thumb very early on. And I actually think that getting into music journalism for me made me almost less, I don't want to say like less passionate, but I find now that I much more enjoy writing about music and listening to music and engaging with artists than I do performing and promoting. Um, I like performing art for myself 
but I see and I meet all these people and I realize that that's like not what I want to do. Like I'm a lifer for sure in music journalism and like selling merch for people and TMing, stuff like that. But like the more artists I talk to, I was like, okay, I love making art, but I don't want to do this as a profession. I would much rather make a profession out of telling these people's stories right. Because so many artists I feel like get like did dirty by journalists. And it's really frustrating to watch, especially if you've like met someone or you saw someone come up and you like see them get interviewed by these people who just like don't get them at all. And so for me, it very much became like this path of like, okay, well, I could put time and energy into making music that's probably not really gonna go anywhere based on the people who are making it or like this, the flavor of the week, like we make something outdated. Let's like, you know, I'm gonna cut that time out and I'm gonna put way more time into researching and doing these really wonderful interviews because like I care. And for me, especially since having like an actual like cubicle job <laughs> where I do this for a living and I'm not just like freelancing, freelancing and like hustling all the time, like I think the best part of being a music journalist is knowing that that little artist deep inside of me is like telling their story the right way. That was rambly, but no, that's how that it approached me. <laughs> Thanks. No, it's super important. I think that for everyone that's on stage and everyone that's in the room, you know, it's, we all do multiple things. You know, we all have our passions, probably more than one, on top of jobs. Some of us have families and all this stuff. And, like, when it really comes down to it, you need to focus on, like, what's most important to you. And it's something that, you know, believe it or not, I struggle with a lot because I do some things. And it's just, a few. it's just really hard for me to, like, focus on what I care about the most. And I know that, like... Sometimes I'm like, man, you know, I shouldn't be doing this podcast because it's taking up so much time. And then there are days where I'm like, I shouldn't be doing psych stuff because I don't know if anybody gets it, you know? And there are days where it's like, I don't know if I should be working for Get Hit because it's just like I'm spending all this time helping other people put their music out when I should be working on putting my music out. Mm -hmm. But I think there's that part of me that just wants to help other people. And like, I've been doing this for so fucking long that if I can like give somebody a shortcut and be like, hey, you know, I spent a couple years doing that thing you're doing. It didn't really work. So you should probably cut that out and focus on something else. If I can help somebody else, then that means a lot to me. And then the other stuff just kind of, I'm just trying to work it out whenever I can. I'm happy. That's all that really matters. I think if you just find the thing that yeah. makes you not want to smash your face off yeah. a wall. Even yeah. though being an artist is very face smashing off wall inducing at times. Yeah. yeah. Being a human is I think. Just find the thing that, you know, again, that you're passionate about and that you care about and pursue it. Because why not? I think that by you helping other people, you're helping yourself too, because a lot of those people are gonna support you because they get to know you more. By doing all these things and wearing all these hats, as much as it's a hard juggling act to really do. I like hats. Yeah, I wear a lot of hats too, and it's, I tell a lot of people to, to focus on what they love and what's most important to them and be selfish with their time. But like everything I see you doing, it all goes back to your music and I feel like it all helps that in one way or another. You know, cuz if you're just doing music all the time, you're you're a much more interesting person. You know, you're you're very well-rounded. Well, thank you. That was really nice. Yeah, that's true. I just want to point out that when I interviewed Brian for the city paper, he forgot all of the things that he does. I like I was like yeah. talking to him and he was like 
he lists like these things. I'm like, so what are you up to? And I'm like, like, what about your podcast and like Anime Club and Greywalker? And he's like, oh shit, I do all that too. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. you got it. Um, so busy, you forget. True story. I did forget. It was incredible. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> That's how you know I'm a good journalist. I was already on Wait, it. Did you say Anime Club? I feel like that's a past thing. Is it? Do you still do that? It, it has slowed down a bit. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna bring it back. I'm just I was doing it monthly. Okay. And you know, I think that it was just too much for me. I don't have yeah. the time for it, and I think it was too much for the people that were interested as well. Yeah. So I'm gonna scale it back and do more bigger things rather than a small event every other week. It's kind of like being in a band and playing shows. Do you want to play a, you know, a small show every other week or do you want to scale back and it's yeah. really fucking hard to do that because like if you're a performer you love to perform. It's mm -hmm. so awesome. <laughs> but it, I mean it's just like whenever I'm not playing for a while and you know we really take the time to put together like a bigger event is when it really really pays off. It'd be cool to be like a big band that gets that every night in a different city, but you know it's not the case for everyone. So I think that you're not gonna make it happen by playing shows every other week. Says the guy that's playing shows every other week this summer. <laughs> but with the Please come. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed a shift in that too because like it used to be like a lot of bands that I would ask to play shows would say yes every time. And now they're starting to be like, uh, like we already have a show like a week before, so maybe we shouldn't. And like I think people are starting to be more conscious of that. That's good to know. Um, <laughs> right? It's yeah, not a lot of not a lot of people do that anymore. Notes? I've scaled back my shows a lot too because it makes them more special. But if you ever do Anime Club again, please let me know. I think I would be a great advocate I'm, of I'm that. Actual, I, I'm actually very interested. <laughs> I've been joking about this, but I will I will put it out there. I'm seriously going to do a con in my house nice. just yes. for my friends. If you want more details on that, talk to me afterwards. I'm not going to talk I about do. House Con right now, but House yeah. Con 2017 <laughs> oh is God. coming up. I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a, there's going to be a panel in my bathroom. It's going to be great. Speaking there's going to be a vendor area. I'm going to be selling <laughs> anime shirts that I'm too fat to wear now. <laughs> Trust, I'm serious. Give me five bucks. I don't give a fuck. House con. I am all about this. I, I already have a costume. I'm serious. House con, it's happening. It's going to be all the rage. I might get a band to play. From Japan. Yes. I'm seriously all about this. I'm, I'm, only, totally I'm only coming to house con if you find uh, like an archaic wrestler who's trying to be relevant to come. Oh! To oh. Um, uh, yeah, I could do that. I want, like, a deep cut, so start working on that. I mean, like, you could just, like, go into Braddock and see Virgil walking around, so... That's a real-life thing. <laughs> go find Virgil. Yeah, he's around. I'll go I find him. I would also just like to point out him over. that Pittsburgh native Kurt Angle is now, like, back on TV every yeah. week. <laughs> I mean, so. like, I hate him on an interpersonal level, but I'm always like, Pittsburgh, I hate you still. But, like, you know, it's cool. There are Pittsburgh people doing stuff. Yeah, outside of the arts, um, what I mean, obviously, I know that you're passionate about yes. wrestling. Indeed, I like. Okay, so <laughs> WWE, everything, oh. but especially WWE. So here's the thing: I, I ultimately, in my early 30s, 
I would like to go to grad school for women, gender, and sexuality studies and do my entire thesis on the way gender is portrayed in the WWE because it is fucking fascinating. First of all, wrestling is great because as much as it's like, oh, it's supposed to be like this like manly thing, full of homoerotic shit. Very gay, all the time, so sick. They shave their legs. Like, the men have shaved, shiny shaved legs. Like, and that's not a question. They're not like, wow, those dudes shave their legs. Like, that's just what they do. Um, but I love wrestling because it's a giant soap opera. And just like, and I was going to make this metaphor. Right now, music and wrestling communities are very similar. Because indie wrestling is the same thing. Like, you go to a show, you set up your own fucking ring, just like you would set up your own PA. You're doing backyard wrestling, unconventional shows. Like, KSWA has shows in fucking Spirit Lodge. Like, they do that in an unconventional space. And you now, as a musician, given the internet and the climate and the desire for people to support artists, you can be a successful mid-level artist with like a day job when you're not on tour and make a living and be happy. Just like now, you don't have to be in the WWE or be a slayer, like music-wise, to be successful. Like you could be in New Japan or Ring of Honor and make great money or Lucha Underground. And like, that's so fucking cool to me. Also, I mean, there's so much crossover. This like like building of gimmicks and personalities and branding. Yeah. Like, it's really, really fascinating to watch characters. Um, and it's just like so absurd that it's not real life. And I really, really like art that you can just lose yourself in. Some of my favorite musicians are that way too. Like, I love that absurdity for that reason because you completely lose yourself in it. But I feel really bad because before I was like a closet wrestling fan and now I'm not at all. Really? Like, I don't know. I was a big wrestling <laughs> fan, too. My, my I'm curious who your favorite wrestler is. Oh, God. It's too hard to say. If we're, if we're going to split it into divisions, right now my favorite male wrestler is Finn Balor. My favorite indie wrestler... Damn. No, fuck Kevin Owens. <laughs> he dresses like a middle school bully. One time, he straight up has the haircut, the little spiky hair, and he like, you can't see his legs, and you're like, what the fuck, dude? You look like that guy that picked on me in seventh grade. Um, but that is his personality, and he does great at it. Like, I love Kevin Owens as a character, but I have a soft spot for Finn. I love Bailey because I'm a fucking Mark, and she's perfect and cute, and I'm pretty sure... I'm making an assumption, but I'm pretty sure she's gay. So I'm going to pretend that WWE is pushing a gay women, re woman wrestler, and that would be really tight. But that's like the fantasy I live in. I'm like, it's so progressive. They've like said nothing. I'm reading between lines that aren't even there <laughs> at this point. Um, but like Ring of Honor, I like love like the Young Bucks and Adam Cole and Kenny Omega and like Lucha Underground's really cool. There's actually a guy from like close by in Ohio, Matt Cross, who's like the face of Lucha Underground. Yeah, he's from Cleveland. And like, that's so cool that we have that. We have access to like those people around here. I was a big fan of China and oh. Degeneration X. <laughs> Fucking love and, China. Uh, thank you, X. -Pop. Shout outs to Kane, China. The Undertaker. Dude, yeah. Kane is like a like a really gnarly libertarian conservative like political Weird. candidate now. Like what? The man used to strike people down with lightning on live television, I, I, and now yeah. he's a fucking politician. What? Although to be fair, like, like most of Trump's cabinet has been stone stone cold stunner by. Stone That's cold a fact. <laughs> so wrestling uh, fans against fascism. <laughs> who else has passions outside of music? Sorry. No, that was great. Yeah. I'm a big nerd and I like science and sci-fi and horror movies and comic books and anime. So and 
Yeah, honestly, I don't have a lot of time. I aside from everything I do or I'm into, I like to spend a lot of time alone, and I don't, I don't like dating. I, I've never. I lately I've had like just anti hobby. Yeah, I've been ha- tell, trying to tell guys like, look, it's nothing personal. I just am spending time doing the stuff I like to do that makes me happy. I guess I'm just not like I deleted Tinder. I'm not about it anymore. I'm just about being in my room, being a nerd. That's what. That's what, how I'm most comfortable. Yeah. What about you, Brett? What do you do besides booking shows and hanging out? Uh, not much, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it takes up a lot of my time, especially uh, I still have a day job that I'm trying to quit this year. That's like main goal for 2017, quit your day job, 2K17. Um, <laughs> you, can have a, you can host a panel on that at HouseCon if you want. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. Um, honestly, otherwise, I'm either like, just like at a bar with friends or just watching Netflix by myself. <laughs> That's pretty much like my time away from shows. <laughs> like, Hit, what about you? Actually, uh, I like, I don't know if it's because of the studio or maybe this influenced the studio, right? But I just like uh, things that are underappreciated, right? So it's kind of like I'm always seeking these things out. So most recent would be like the movie Arrival, right? And for the most part, it's like skipped over people's heads completely, right? But everyone's like, Hidden Figures is the best movie I've seen in my entire life, right? But Arrival, you know, is a fantastic movie. Or it'd be like Prometheus. Like, everyone's like, that movie fucking sucked. And I'm like, how did that movie suck? You know, like Prometheus was an awesome movie. Or Stranger Than Fiction, people are like, Elf, Will Ferrell, Elf, Will Ferrell. And I'm like, have you seen Stranger Than Fiction? It's like one of his greatest movies he ever made. And so I'm always seeking, whether it be music, movies, books, like people even, you know, like, you know, I see people as, as the same way. It's just, I'm always trying to find the stuff where like, people are like, eh, yeah, that happened. But I'm like, well, that happened for a reason. You know, like we need to watch that, listen to that, meet that person, you know what I'm saying? And that's really my hobby outside of the studio and producing music and all that is just, I wanna find the most obscure, underappreciated shit and I wanna appreciate it. That's my hobby outside of the studio. I love that. You, you know what your other hobby should be? Stand-up comedy. I'm serious. I'm so serious. Even obscure comedians, I'm searching for them too. <laughs> Byron, rounding it out. What about you? I know you're you're a busy individual. Yeah, it seems like all my stuff kind of wraps back to music in some capacity. I'm the same way, honestly. So I, I was thinking, like, how do I how do I cross-pollinate all the things that I do? So I bartend for a living at two popular spots, which allows me to meet a lot of people. So I always figure I'm going to be in a position to meet someone that I would never meet that might connect me to something that I'd never know I would do. I mean, that's how I end up doing half the shit that I'm doing now. And um, so bartending is just my job, but I know how to like work it. You know, there's days I'm like, I fucking hate doing this right now. Like, I have, if I have one more person do something, you know, and then you get frustrated as an artist because you're like, man, I'm not doing what I need to be doing because I'm getting home at 4.30 in the morning and I'm getting up at 8. But that's just how I'm built. Like, I'm always going to do that. I'll always have something to do. Like, I, I'm not a sit-around dude. And I think part of that is because I was such a young parent that, like, I didn't have time to fuck around. So I was immediately, like, a dad, like, 18, boom. And then once... Every time he got a little bit older, every Father's Day, I'd buy myself a guitar. You know, I'd buy another instrument. And I was like, I'm just going to 
surround myself with music. I don't know if that means I'll be on tours. I don't know what that means, but I feel like success can come in all different you know, shapes and sizes. So if I you know, want to play guitar, I have 50 fucking guitars laying around the house and I, inspiration's right there. I have a studio in my house. I have these things that kind of keep me interested in the arts and trying to surround myself with more people that are better than me at you know, what they do so they can bring the best out of me that I maybe won't be able to find on my own. So there's that. But also, um, like how she was talking about how you can still have a day job and do things that uh, complement what you're trying to do. And so when you were talking about pay to play and some musicians not wanting to do the work or, you know, I've been, there's like two styles of musicians. There's band people and there's like hired guns who are like, all right, when's the gig? How much am I getting paid? And that's like, that's what they do. You know, they're talented enough. They go around. That's how they support themselves. I'm a band dude, you know, so I don't really... I, I think about money in the sense that I know I need money to do things, but it doesn't drive me to do what I do for music, you know. But I got invited to play. Um, this is where Facebook actually worked once. Uh, well, I put up these acoustic videos with uh, Evan uh, from Greywalker, and they always get the most views out of anything that, that I do. So I'm like, all right, we have this for two metal guys. We're always playing as like soft like sensitive ass acoustic shit on my porch and people fucking love it. Like literally walk up to it like, oh, that song was great. And I'm like, damn, we were just practicing, you know? So this lady saw it and she had It's the underappreciated shit. It's the obscure underappreciated shit. You know? And so like this lady saw it online. She, she called me and she's like, I really like what you're doing. Her husband was a musician and he died and they set up this program for artists to go into hospitals and play music for therapy for like patients and stuff like that. It's called Music Care. So she put together this, they've been doing it for like 10 years or something, put together this big event. It was at like the Meadows in October. You know, no money or anything like that. I got to play two songs with the house band. It was like sort of a huge undertaking at the time for me, like time-wise, but I'm so glad I did it because there was like 500 people there bunch of people would never would have heard of me, you know, like DVE, like announced me and all this stuff. And it was funny because they were like, oh, and he loves Randy Rose. I'm like, how the fuck did he know that? And I was like, oh, it's on my website, right? <laughs> but also all these people like found out all this shit. So I played the show and then fast forward to like a month ago, she called me. She was like, hey, I really appreciate you doing that. I have this gig. Do you want to play at Montefiore Hospital, which was on Wednesday? Um, it's an hour and a half. 150 bucks acoustic. I was like, yeah. So I requested off bartending, made 150 bucks just sitting there playing. I had an amp. I, there was no stage. There was no like promotion. There was nothing. I just literally sat in a fucking lobby with an acoustic, a little amp, and a loop pedal. And I played for an hour and a half. And I had little old ladies coming up to me afterwards, like, that was the nicest thing ever. Some lady came over and like wrote me a note, and I thought she was like giving me her digits or some shit. Because <laughs> it was like kind of weird. She dropped it off my case and like ran away, and I'm like, I'm sorry. And if she just said, hey, you know, I had a hard day at work, I was taking a break in the lobby, your music was really soothing, it made me feel a certain type of way. And that's that moment was when I was like, okay, I know I'm I'm on the right path. You know, like it wasn't about the money, but it was like kind of cool to make 150 bucks just playing like original shit. I didn't play a single cover. I didn't have to change anything about what I did. I was improvising on the spot. And all the people that I was playing for were people that would have never even known who I was or what. And I didn't announce my name. I didn't have a mic. It was just straight music. And it was like the most rewarding day I've had in a long time, you know? So I'm like, well, I got to figure out other ways to do that. There's, you know, there's house uh, events where they do acoustic shows and things like that. And I think that's just another niche 
you know, to kind of, you know, while I'm not doing my plan B thing or, or, you know, producing over here or doing whatever, to put myself in a different position to keep building and keep branding, you know, because sometimes people might only know you for the one thing that you're, you're most popular for. Some people only know I'm a bartender. Some people only know that I fucking was in Formula 412. Some people know about Plan B. It could be the same thing with you. Someone might only know about the Sykes thing. You know, they might know you more from Grey Walker. So I think it's important if we're artists who are multitasking to figure out ways to like brand from that original nucleus you know, so if, that, if you love wrestling, how do you branch off from what you do originally to bring that all together so you're just kind of having a life that's fulfilled? I think that's like the main thing. Like money's great. I'd like to have some cash like on that other level where I didn't have to think about work as much. But at the same time, I have to remind myself that bartending is exactly why I'm able to do music the way that I do. You know, so it's like a catch-22 as a working artist. Yeah, I but think it's, it's really important for artists. Again, this kind of goes back to the pay-to-play, selling tickets to strangers, talking to people. That just Getting outside of your bubble is, I think it's, that's probably the hardest thing for some people is to just network with other people. It's so easy to get comfortable in the echo chamber of your life, you know, and like having all of your friends like, oh, this song is great. What you're doing is awesome, yada, 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 and playing to the same, you know, 10 friends every other week at the same place. And if you're happy with that, cool. I'm not going to hate on you at all for that. But if you're going to do that and not appreciate what you have and then complain that, you know, you're not getting anywhere, then that's on you. You know, you, everybody has the opportunity, especially with these fucking things, True. <laughs> to network and meet people, go out to events, come out to bullshit like this with some guy that you maybe kind of know or know well, talking with other people that maybe you don't know that well. And, like, learn something. Whenever we're done talking, introduce yourself to the other people in this room. Somebody in this room might be able to do that thing or help you with that thing that you've been trying to do that you didn't know, you don't know who does that thing, whatever it is, whether it's like graphic design or someone that engraves lighters or someone that, you know, like, wait, who's the lighter engraver? Really here. good at like tying shoes and you just suck at tying shoes. Maybe somebody <laughs> here could teach you how to tie your shoes better. Just find out what other people do when you're out and about and like, don't just get so comfortable in your friend group, you know? So I think that like we all kind of go out to events because we want to socialize, we want to meet new people, but then we get there and we're like, eh, this is kind of weird. And I, I'm a huge advocate for going to shows by yourself. Because if you yes. go by yourself, you are not with, you are not connected oh, yeah. or tethered no. to another person. And then you meet people and it's a genuinely wonderful experience. And I, I've been, most shows I've gone to in the last like three weeks have been by myself and I've never had more fun at a show. Abandon your friends. Yeah, you don't need them. Here's the thing. Go to some, actually, no, yeah, so I was Mondays, Mondays and Tuesdays are wrestling and watching with friends <laughs> nights. And then all the other nights are when you go to shows by yourself. Here's an idea. You got a band with five people in it. There's, a sh there's five different shows going on that I'll night. I'll go to a different one. I'll go to a different show and I'll network. Mm -hmm. And don't just like hand out flyers for shows. Go and actually become friends with people. Everybody likes friends, right? I wish there were more. Man. This is random, but I'm going to throw it out there for all you people in the room. Book more mic genre shows. I want to go see a bunch of different shit at a show and connect different communities because there's usually some underlying, like, we all like music, and most of us don't like just one type of music. Um, so it's kind of nice when you can get out of that echo chamber because I think a lot of the bands end up playing together on, like, a regular basis, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because it's good to have, like, a collective or a community, but... 
it's it's much more refreshing as like a music listener or writer to totally. go out and see something like that doesn't really make sense together, but because everyone's passionate, that's enough to tie it together. I think some people want to be in that echo chamber though. They're just they have their little clicks and their cool little things, their little scenes of things that they do, and you're not cool enough to be a part of it. And that's fine. Just acknowledge it quickly and push it off because mm-hmm. those, it's like, even if you are able to attract that group of friends, it's not going to help you spread out anymore because they're just talking to themselves all the time, anyways. They don't want to make new friends, so fuck them. Does that make sense? Maybe this is part of my problem. I agree with what you're saying about going places alone. I go everywhere alone. I'm an only child. I have only child syndrome. I kind of isolate sometimes, but I'm also a social butterfly. So it's like when I go out, I like to make the most of my time and often go out alone. So it's like it just, you just feel like you, anything could happen. I right? think that that's kind of like the weird thing. And I do want to wrap up soon. We've been going for a while, but this yeah. is a good talk. I love everybody up here. I love all of you. Thanks for coming out, by the way. Love you too. Even the people that came late, you little rascals, I see you back there. That's why you don't got a seat. But help yourself to some pizza, tacos, and beer, please. What was I going to say? Something about being in your own bubble, only child, something like that. Oh, yeah, only child. A lot of artists, I think, they're not necessarily, we're not all only children, but I think there's something when you start like developing as an artist, like it kind of comes from this place of, almost maybe being an introvert to some extent (laughs) and maybe not for everybody but at least for me it was so like I was just like I didn't hang out with a whole lot of people or the people that I did hang out with weren't people that I was doing art with or music with you know it's kind of a thing that was always for myself so once I felt like my music was good enough to start sharing it with other people it was like fuck I have to like talk to people I have to talk to strangers now I have to like go out like, how do I do this? It was so weird. And I think that's kind of like just with my particular background, I think that's why I ended up in like the weird position that I've been in since like where like I've never really been a part of the Pittsburgh hip hop community, which is super weird because I'm a local rapper, but I didn't know any rappers coming up. It's like if it wasn't for all my friends and like hardcore bands and weird indie rock bands that were like, yeah, you could come play a show with us. I don't know how I would have ever like gotten anywhere honestly so um and i'm not like it's not really a bad thing it's just weird i've always kind of like been in a weird place but i never felt comfortable to talk to strangers in the beginning it's a it's a different story now kind of but uh yeah back then it was just really hard for me so i think that um it makes sense why some people like even now like you might be coming from a place of like wanting to go out by yourself or being comfortable to do things like that or you know not going out on a Friday night and just like hanging out at home and working on music because you worked all week and like that's the only time you're able to actually work on stuff is on the weekends because you know you have a you're juggling a hustle of a day job and things like that but it's not so weird because you're not really into hanging out with people anyways that was rambling sorry never underestimate the value of having friends who don't have any fucking idea what you do for like your day job or like who don't who aren't musicians because they one appreciate your work and what you do a lot and two it's nice to just like have some space from that because I think if you are in an echo chamber and you only hang out with musicians who only make the same music as you or whatever it can become so insular that you almost become uninspired 
And it's just refreshing to have someone who has a different common interest than, you know, what you do every day. And I mean, I'm somebody who works like three jobs, like that are all totally different from each other. So like for me, it's nice because I never get stale because I'm always, <laughs> I have to wear like, just like you do, you have to wear a lot of different Totally, hats. you know, I think that um, it comes from, you know, I spent a long time being a barista. Shout outs to Black Forge Coffee House, by the way. Thanks for letting us do this. You know, I spent a long time doing that. And, you know, when I was at work, even though I hated that job, it's like all I want to do is be doing music and contributing to the arts. And, like, there's an art to coffee, but when you work at Starbucks, it's a different story. And, you know, all I could fucking think about was music. So I would get off work, and, like, I would just be so fired up to go work on whatever song or album design, whatever I was doing, whatever projects I spent all day removed from it. And now I've been working at a record label for the past four years and it's a different story now. There's like days where like I go home, it's like, and I'm burnt out. You know, I got to work on a flyer for a show, but it's like I spent all day working on an album design for some bullshit band that it's like, I don't care. I mean, or it's just something, it's not, they're not bullshit. Nobody's bullshit. Everybody should pursue their dreams, okay? But it, sometimes, sometimes when it's not you, it's real easy to get selfish, you know? It's like days when I have to ship out records. It's like every record, I'm like, this should be my record. This should be my record. I should be working on music, and so some, some other asshole should be packing my record. But when I, like, kick myself in the ass, it's like I'm contributing to something. There needs to be somebody out there shipping out those records to people. You know, it's there's it's cool to see. It's like now I try to think of it. It's like, oh, this is awesome because like I walked into work today. I have to ship out 90 records all over the world. That's 90 people all over the world that are still buying physical music and still give a shit and like be a contributing part of helping facilitate the distribution of that. It, it's important. So it's a lot better than making a caramel macchiato for a four year old that's not going to drink it. <laughs> I think it helps you in some ways and I think I, I know I re resent and regret my job sometimes because I'm like oh I could be you know doing more with my time or whatever but you know we still get to do what we love and those little things help with your cause believe it or not in some ways Here, you know I have to step in right <laughs> okay oh, look this is for everyone in this room and this is kind of a realization that Hopefully it'll help you go after what you really love, not just what you kind of love for the rest of your life, right? Yes. So I'm 34 years old. I'm sure this, there's a lot of late 20s, early 30-year-old people in here, okay? Or late. Or late, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you said uh, someone needs to be out there shipping these records out, right? But here's the thing. Um, so since the beginning of this year, let me catch you up real quick. Since the beginning of this year, especially on social media, if you follow me, I've posted every single day since January 1st leading up to April 10th, right? And when I got to April 10th, it was day 100 of 100, and I went from maybe like, and this is great, because this kind of wraps in everything we talked about, okay? And at the beginning, the first 20 days, I only had a couple people following me, right? And by the end of that 100th day, I had thousands of people, right? inboxing me, liking this video that I posted, commenting, sharing, hundreds of shares, the whole nine, right? And the whole theory was, in this 100 days that I posted, 
I just wanted to make the most of this 100 days, okay? I'm, I'm 34 years old, and I, I wanted to get the most out of life. I wanted to spend time in the right places like I'm doing tonight. I wanted to spend time doing the right things, you know, spend my money in the right places. But in that time, I met with someone about investing, right? And he was saying that, and he follows me through social media, and he said, there's something funny that came up uh, regarding your 100 of 100 days, right? He said, when, whenever you get to April 11th, 2017, you'll have 100, 100 day sequences until you turn 62, okay? And that's when I, that's the age of retirement, right? And he's an investor, so these are the things he pays attention to, right? So he said, you'll have 10,000 days from the time you're 34 to the time you're 62 to save money to get to a point where, you know, your money's basically paying bills itself, okay? 100, 100 day sequences. So hopefully all of you could put this in perspective, especially if you're 34 or anywhere in that area, is between now and the time you retire, you have 10,000 days. Actually, I'm down to 9,993 days until I retire, right? So that's 9,993 days I have until I retire, and I'm essentially at the point where my body is starting to give away and I can't really, like, do for myself. You know, we all have moms, dads, 60, 70, you know what I'm saying? So stop uh, pandering the schleps, as I'll say, right? Because the thing is, is like, this is the only life you get, you know? And I used to wear, I say this to you because I used to wear a lot of hats and Sykes knows, me and Sykes go back decade plus, right? And I was producing, I was rapping, I was putting on for other artists, I was throwing shows, I was with the Commonwealth family, I was, was with Sykes, dudes. I yeah. was going to Formula 412 shows, you know, and it's like, this is the only life you're gonna get. And it sounds cliche on the surface, but I give you the numbers for the proof that by the time you hit 34, you have 10,000 days to your birthday to make the most of it. 10,000 days is all you get. I've already went from, from five digits till my retirement to four digits. Do you see what I'm saying? So stop pandering and do what it is that you love. And I'll tell you what, the first couple hundred days, are always the fucking hardest. Remember when you didn't have a computer in ninth, 10th, and 11th grade? You know, and then when you got to 12th grade and you saved the money and you got to that point, and now fast forward even more and we're at Black Forge Coffee House and you're Sykes, and this is nationally known Black Forge Coffee House. Do you see what I'm saying? We're Pick up a punch card. Yeah, yeah, give me, yeah, give me that. Several. But we're yeah. to a point now where you need to take control of your fucking life. Everyone in the audience, everyone on the panel, you know, I'm just one man, but hopefully this piece of information that I can forward to you, I'm down to 900, 993 days until I retire. Do you see what I'm saying? And you may have less or you may have a couple hundred more between now, but forget this whole like someone needs to do it. No, someone needs to be Sykes. Someone needs to be Lexa Terrestrial. Someone needs to be Byron Nash. Someone needs to be Black Forge Coffee House. You don't need to be the fucking schlep that's pressing albums that you have no passion for out into the world. And then when you turn 62, you'll look back and be like, I should have pressed a Sykes album, not a fucking whoever's album that is. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah.
Trash bag psych Woo! split on vinyl coming. They actually, they actually just they actually were just they were just delivered to the warehouse today. They look great. So I'm, I am I am working on stuff. I'm just saying. And also to wrap this up, just I just actually want to make something clear. I didn't save up money for that computer in senior year. I actually, no, actually, I traded. Prove me wrong. No, I traded. When I told you that I, before I had a computer, I yeah. was recording all the music on a camcorder. camcorder yep. I actually traded the camcorder for the computer <laughs> tower. I'm not even fucking with you. So that's the thing. If you don't got money, you don't have the resources, you can find a way to make it work. You just got to fucking think about it. And I'm going to fucking end on that note because it's been long enough. <laughs> Holy yeah! shit. Yeah! Please. We ran out of uh, time on this thing. That's okay. You know what's funny? Whenever the backup fails you, but the main thing's still going. That's fucking life, right? Hey, I want to take some time. Wait. And I want to thank... I want to thank Sykes. Yes. I, I seriously Thank do. Because I don't think, yes. I don't think, hold on. I don't think that he gives himself enough credit, Hell man. No. Let me tell you something. I went out and played, he had, I don't know what it was for, but I went out, we played video games. He had like a gathering of people and he had the anime gathering and he's having this Black Forge gathering and I went to Brutal Beer Fest and let me tell you something. This, this conversation was about how we can make the scene better, Right? And an old saying is, be the change that you want to see, right? And Sykes, thank you. Because I've met so, so many people because of you. I, I have so many memories because of you. And this is another memory that I can add to my book. And I just want everyone to appreciate what it is that you're doing. All right? So thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you all for coming out. Huge shout outs. Meg Fair, say what's up. Everybody hey, what's say up? bye. It was great to chat for all of you. Thanks for listening. Down the line, let's do it. You guys are awesome. Shout out Trish, that's my best friend over there. You gotta know her, she's awesome. Uh, this was a lot of fun and uh, inspiring. Inspiring. <laughs> I, I learned some things. <laughs> I think I said it already. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I didn't thank notice. You. I missed thank it. You. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for having everybody. Nice meeting everybody. Thank you guys for coming out, Black Forge, for having us here on a Friday night. Way better than working. This is the shit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Standing ovation. Come on. Thanks. <laughs> Fuck yeah, I'm the best motherfucker in Pittsburgh. Fuck yeah! <laughs> and that is all, folks. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Again, huge thanks to everyone who was there. All my guests, everybody that brought beer and food, Black Forge, Rock Bottom, Dose, Byron Nash, Mike Hitt, Brett Shoemaker, Lexa Terrestrial, 
Meg Fair, and me for still doing this. Yeah, I'll be back again next week with another episode. New time. I should I should mention that. If you notice, this episode went up on a Thursday. They're all going to be up on Thursdays from now. They're all on Tuesdays, Thursdays now. So, next Thursday, you'll get a new episode. But same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2017. Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening.